This morning's Dharma talk is actually talk number seven with this title, and it is Meditation is Action. Meditation, capital I, capital, which way does it go? S, is action. It is, it is action. But most people ignore that. And one of the ways they ignore that is they jump to conclusions about what meditation is. They think it's this, they think it's that, they think it's calming down. They think it's, they think, they, who knows, you name it. Go on uh, YouTube, go on, and you can find all kinds of descriptions. Some of them extremely reasonable, uh, convincing. Some of the advertisements for meditation are powerful. And I'm not saying you shouldn't. I, I really, uh, let me say this before I say anything else. You decide yourself. I'm not here to particularly convince you. On the other hand, as I talk, you'll see I'm highly motivated to say what I'm saying. That maybe some kind of convincing, but I don't intend to propagandize anything. You all have all been disrespected enough by the craziness that's out in the world, by, by those in high, high places, not just basically, simply put, not being honest about what's happening, not being genuine. So very difficult to be uh, genuine about absolute truth. Even, even the great sages down through, the his, down through history have had difficulty understanding how to do something that they can see. How do you bring that down into the relative world and talk about it without making it some kind of cult or some kind of religion or something to believe in or something? It's just a, a look, if you look through history at all, I'm not expecting you're going to become a historian. I certainly am not, but it's all over the place. Uh, Buddhism, Zen is no different. And what I'm encouraging you to do is not do what I say, not become a student of mine. Don't even come back here, but don't don't live too much longer without training your mind. Now, all the exercises that you're doing make sense. You should go for walks. You should, some of you young people should jog. You should uh, uh, practice uh, this craft or this technique or this profession so that you get, you'll notice anything you do, anything from a, a someone who is a carpenter to more uh, uh, mind concept-oriented things like uh, being an attorney or, or someone who's using structures like that. They have to actually go in there and actually exercise that area of the mind, which is totally invisible. When I say it's totally invisible, well, at least partially. I almost lied to you there. You have to be careful. But you'll notice if you do anything, whether it's, uh, uh, it's mathematics or um, working with the uh, computers or programming or all the other things that, that you all know more about than I do, I'm saying it's the exercise part that's important, the actual activity of doing, of doing it that stretches something and usually it's what? Invisible. We can't really see that part of the mind that is getting stronger and stronger and stronger by virtue of doing long division over and over and over again. Eventually, you'll get good at it. Other than me, I don't get good at things like that. I still can't do long division. Some of you don't even know what that is because you were born away after pencils were obsolete. They still have pencils? <laughs> so what I'm saying is uh, meditation is action. It is, uh, albeit extremely subtle. It's even more subtle than the one that you would be exercising or stretching if you just did a lot of math over and over again. You're, maybe you're not very good at math, but if you did it every day and someone was there to help you with it and notice your, the weak areas and say, okay, this is an area you need to work in. Okay, you're going to need to memorize those multiplication tables. You can't just refigure them out every time like I did. You have to remember them so you can apply that. What is it? It's a little tiny mini formula. So I'm going through all of this because I'm trying to say uh, that the physical exercise is probably the most obvious that we all kind of agree on, but the mental exercises, even though they're more rarefied, they're more obscure, 
and they're harder to detect what's actually happening there because it's so what dependently arisen it's combined with our our intelligence our heredity but the intelligence or the perception the insight the understanding the skills that we are actually born with it's like seeing is not a skill seeing correctly may be a skill but just seeing is just open your eyes and you you get that gratis nobody comes up and say no you can't you got to earn that i'm not going to let you see until you understand what seeing is so you go through all the all of the various uh, peregrinations that happen around what seeing is about and what vision is about and what an object, light that's an object, it bounces off the object. This is what uh, some, not all, but some of the Tibetans will tell you that you have to, you have to think about it first before you can realize it. I don't agree, needless to say. So the meditation is uh, an activity that if you continue to do it, you get results that are very difficult to perceive because they are, they're, pretty invisible. The way that I've broken this down, there's probably five, fifteen hundred levels, but the three levels that I'm going to use here are, are one, two, and three. And the first level is you meditate, you meditate, you sit every day for 20 minutes, half an hour. We, these days they're calling it mindfulness. You can call it whatever you want. I'm saying if you're going to do it, sit down, hold still, look at the wall, look at the floor, keep the senses open, in particular the eyes. If you, if you have your eyes closed, it's an exercise and it may lead to nice ceilings or good results or whatever, but that's an area because the very nature of that particular sense field is the objects that arise, arise in all the other five, including the mind, are all very intimate. They're right here. Hearing, smelling, taste, touch, feel, all those thinking are all very intimate, whereas seeing is it's over there. That's the one that keeps telling us and keeps reifying the self-centered or ego's assumption that we're separate beings. We are not. This is, doesn't mean that someone who was born without sight is going to be automatically awake, although they could have a leg up somewhere at some levels because they don't have that intense separation going on. So meditation uh, is, uh, an, is action in that it's very, very subtle. It would be similar to the activity of doing math problems. It was similar, except there's, because you're actually exercising some aspect of consciousness, which is called, uh, in our tradition, is called the sixth consciousness, or the, this basic, generic, mundane, beige thinking process. It just thinks, we just think about this. There's no evaluation, no judgment, no, it is, it's good, it's bad. All of that's left to another aspect of the consciousness that is the ego mind, and is, uh, in, this, in Yogacara tradition, is referred to as the klesha mind. Fancy, uh, fancy Sanskrit word is klesha manavijana, which just means the crazy part, the paranoid part of the mind, the part that thinks something's trying to get me or I'm going to get something from somebody else. So the three parts that I uh, wish to point out here are, one, you exercise, you, pr you practice meditation, you practice, you practice, you stretch the awareness, you look, you see, you watch things come and go, you watch the thoughts come and go and come and go. And you've learned over time, over three weeks, three months, three years, based on the teachings, on your teacher, on traditional teachings, you've learned to stop reaching believing, pushing, disbelieving, or shutting down, ignoring, turning away, distracting yourself, looking at something else. Anything to keep away from the thing that you don't know what it is, because you don't know whether it's good or bad. So what does ego do? Runs away, distracts itself into something else. Sometimes it'll distract itself into a sutra. Sometimes it'll distract itself into a belief system or into right and wrong. Sometimes people use these robes to be right. It's a misunderstanding, and it's quite sad. 
so you're training your mind, you're training, let's say, just take for an example, and these are just metaphors, but take for an example, someone comes and they sit and they practice for three years, eight years, and they're stretching their mind, they're, they're talking to their meditation teacher, they're, they're interacting with other people who in our tradition we call a sangha, or the community of people that are working together to keep each other honest, I guess you'd say. Pretty hard to relate to someone who does a lot of meditation. They may, they may stop picking on you or criticizing you, but believe me, on second thought, don't believe me. They're probably not going to take their eyeballs off from you. They're going to watch you. They may be very good because they've been practicing it, not evaluating you or jumping conclusions. Just because you're acting crazy or insane or because you're really upset, they may be more clear about why you're so upset. They may be able to see deeper into your situation and see the reason you're acting that way is because you've been hurt and you're afraid or all of those things. Quite often when someone is aggressive or uh, mean, angry, all we see is the anger. And then quite often that will trigger any unexamined anger in us. And then we get angry at them for being angry. It happens a lot. If you see two people fighting, you can feel your own peace and anger. Peace, anger. You can feel it. You can kind of see if you should choose sides. Who's got the biggest club? I'll help the other guy. Or who's got the biggest club? I'll help them because they're going to win. I rest my briefcase. Yes, sir. I'm going to get to him. <laughs> I haven't forgotten those. I just, but as I start to go towards there, I think I can build this. I can build this up a little bit further. I don't really have thoughts. I don't know who's having these, and that's that's a sincere statement. Nor do I need to know. I don't really think in the conventional sense anymore. I work with a lot of people who do, and I try to help them transcend that limited, primitive kind of thinking process that's looking for good and bad, right and wrong, and it's totally at war with itself down here. So say you meditate for three years, okay? So the first level of that would be, if you're doing that, you're probably going to be giving the benefit of the doubt to anybody in your everyday life, your job, your environment. You're going to be giving them the benefit of the doubt that uh, or not, or maybe you get really mad at them, but because you, you see the overall picture of that, that you're being reactive, you don't really hook up your vocal cords and start yelling at them. You don't reach for a club, intellectual club, whatever kind of, you don't, you don't actually immediately go into attack mode. You, you might really feel it. It might be painful, but because you've been meditating, because you've been doing this very subtle kind of activity of bringing the mind back to this, bringing the mind back to this, which is, uh, which is a kind of action that is a non-action. If you don't do this, if you don't understand this, you can meditate every day here for years and never get any clarity. It will not come to you if you struggle for it. As uh, Papaji, the great uh, Hindu teacher of the last century said, basic teaching is of his, give up the search. That doesn't mean don't look. Just, just means don't keep snooping around for everything. Try to find something that's right or correct. The most, probably the best teacher you can find anywhere, anywhere. So that wall or any wall or something that's just simple, sitting on hold still. Use this mudra if you'd like or use this one, but hold, keep a symmetrical position because the mind uh, loves symmetry. And if you take up that one symmetry that you can actually create yourself, the mind will eventually slide into that and it will just take up that form. If you do this enough, it will never abandon that form because it wasn't separate from it in the first place. So, so that one who has been uh, stretching the awareness uh, and increasing or empowering or prioritizing the, the meditation in action that is very, very subtle 
it starts, you can't really see that that's getting, the only way you know that that's getting stronger is when you run into something that is challenging to the self-centeredness, the ego. Suddenly you see, or, or, or uh, slowly you see that you're much more clear about that and your ego might be reacting to it, but you're, you, you're kind of disconnecting from that area of the reptile brain that is trying to defend or attack. You're slowly moving into a higher level. It's called a spiritual path. You're actually beginning to leave the mundane area of this. Recognize that? I'm sure you do. That's how I know about it because I grew up on that. That's how, that's how I got into this place because it's so much aggression was happening in my life when I was a very young person. So number one, you're, you've been training the mind, this subtle kind of awareness that is meditation in action. And there's, there's a, it's, an, it's invisible. You can't see it. It's not a thing. It's not, it, does, it has a phenomenological aspect to it, uh, but not particularly, it's not a thing. It's not uh, the fancy word for that is ontological. It's not something like a cup is something or an idea is something or a concept is something. But it's, it's, like the sp it's like the space around something. So number one, you get up off the cushion. There's more, your mind is more spacious. It's a, it's a, your mind, your consciousness, your awareness, without even you being able to even understand what's happening to you, you, you see that you're more likely to, to give others around you the benefit of the doubt. This doesn't mean you let them off the hook. It means you're, you're willing to see the difficulty that they're maybe throwing at you rather than immediately fighting back like uh, eighth graders in a sandbox. I guess it's more like fourth graders in a sandbox. Eighth graders would frown upon a sandbox. But you're, they're there and you, you, you're just more, I'm not going to go so far as to call it compassion, but there's more just understanding or some kind of, maybe even a feeling of kind of being, feeling kind of helpless about it. Like here's someone who's suffering, who's attacking me and you think, I don't know what to do about this. I can't run away and I can't, they're not ready to listen to reason as the saying goes, but it will help you. That's a, that's a level one that will help you in your everyday life. And you'll notice some of that. It may take a while. It'll take, uh, uh, it'll take a while because it doesn't show up in the conventional way that credentials or success stories show up. So you may depending on your karma, you may meditate for several years and you may feel like you're getting worse when actually what's happening is you're, you've been covering it up till you got to this age of 18, 25, 38, whatever it may be, you've been covering it up, covering it up with some success other than when it bubbles up now and then. And then now you're doing, you're meditating. So now you're starting to uncover that unexamined passion, aggression, ignorance under the surface. So now you're actually doing what you could have done initially had you had some training in the, in the, when you're eight years old, or a better environment for uh, being genuine, a better environment for being friends with yourself, or possibly a uh, imputed last life. So you would find yourself uh, be a little bit more, uh, I guess the word would be a little bit more equanimity, a little bit more, even though someone around you uh, at the department store or at your job or a coworker is out of balance, might be the first thing you'd think, something like that. But you wouldn't go to war, you wouldn't necessarily, whereas maybe um, pre-meditation practice, you might have uh, gotten really irritated and left or stomped out of the room or even said something to them aggressively. Uh, whereas in this situation, you're, you haven't left it, you haven't left the room, but you're, you're more, there's even a sense of curiosity about it, possibly without being condescending, even a little sense of humor about it. Like seeing that someone is, is actually, you can actually see them spin and chase their own tail. And, and think that they're chasing something else when it's their own aggression they're chasing. You're just observing them, not, not condescending.
that doesn't mean you're in a position to particularly help them. Now, if they spun around, maybe the next day they came and they said, I noticed you were there when I blew up the other day. And then maybe they might say, I'm really sorry about that. And then you might meet them where they're at. You might say, yeah, it looked like you were having a rough time. No more. No advice. No advice to anybody unless they ask and then make them drag it out of you. Yes. Why? Because I said so. <laughs> <laughs> because sometimes people will ask you for advice because it's not about the advice they're looking for. They want to look like a person who need, who will ask for help. So I'm saying, make, make sure they really are giving you permission. I really, you know, Michael, I really want to know. I really have to give me some feedback on this. I need help here. Help me. Then, even then, I would be very tentative about talking to them. If they're a meditator, they're probably going to be more open to what you would be saying. Not necessarily. Is that because of their preconceptions? Yeah. And, and our own preconceptions. Being aware of your preconceptions helps, but it won't really get rid of them. It's going to make them turn to uh, saran wrap. Did I cover number one yet? <laughs> <laughs> so number two is you're meditating, you're meditating, meditating. Then all of a sudden you have a personal crisis that comes out of nowhere. Some of you will recognize what I'm saying. Some of you won't. Suddenly, for no reason, you're going to work, you're paying your bills, family's good, kids are good if you have them, or your relationship, your girlfriend, boyfriend, uh, everything's going fine. Nothing's, and all of a sudden this big cloud comes over you. You wake up in the morning and you're, what's the conventional word? Depressed. Depressed. And, you, and you're trying to figure out how to, how do I deal with that? And if you ask someone, it depends on who you ask, you ask someone with a lot of credentials on their wall, they already know what they're, you know what they're going to do. They're going to medicate you. I'm not saying it's wrong. And I'm not saying there aren't people that probably that's the only thing you could do with them. Shouldn't we try a few other things first? Yeah. So we should, instead of giving somebody, who knows, I mean, you, if you look, here's the drug that will help you with, with diabetes. But you could also commit suicide. You could end up in depression, and then there's a whole list of warnings around it that, that is basically written by attorneys, I suppose. You know, not blaming Marla for this. She's an attorney. <laughs> but probably because they know that if they say this, and if a lawsuit does come their way, we warned you. So it's a, it's a very interesting kind of uh, structure that's been happening there. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not saying you shouldn't, you personally shouldn't use whatever you use. If you, you know, personally, I've been using... Uh, um, what is that juice we're drinking? Coffee. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Coffee juice. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I would have used that. Yeah. Celery juice. When you and I, my wife and I have been drinking celery juice because she reads a lot. <laughs> Working okay so far. I won't, I won't go into detail. So so the level one is, is that, and then the level two uh, of this situation is you actually have been stretching, increasing your strength in this area, this invisible muscle we call insight, awareness, so that when something comes out of nowhere, that invisible and all of a sudden visible tsunami that's been headed your way for eight years or 10 years, or some kind of a buildup with causes and conditions that we don't know how in the hell that happened. <laughs> Excuse me. Then if, you're, if you do have a, a practice, then there's some kind of spaciousness. It's like if this kind of thing hits in the middle of a broom closet, it's going to blow the walls apart and it's going to destroy your, your laptop and your cell phone and you're pretty much done for. But if it happens in the middle of an open field, which you've been cultivating, you could say, over the years, then it's, it's difficult. It blows up. It's, a, it's, a, it's an ongoing uh, turmoil somewhere, but there's an awful lot of space around it. Because why? Because why? Because you've 
been training your mind to, to, you've been exercising that invisible muscle called awareness, called this deep, deep area of the mind that is just uh, like a blue sky. If all you've been doing all your life is fighting with clouds, you won't even know there is a sky. So another metaphor that I like to use. And then what is the third one? And I can go into detail about any of these. I make up stuff as I go along anyway. The third one is death. This is your preparation for death. Uh, we have a death. We have a, a death every, every night we go to sleep. We die to this world. We go into that world. And then we come back into this world. No exercise at all going on in that world. Unless you're practicing uh, out-of-body stuff or, or uh, uh, some kind of deep consciousness work or lucid dreaming is another one. I'm not saying you shouldn't do that. Some people have done a little bit of all of that stuff just because I'm intensely curious about everything. However, I think it's a good idea to practice when you're not confronted with something that is overwhelming. That's why I say my other metaphor for this is don't learn how to ski in a snowstorm. Wait till the weather's nice. Check with a ski instructor. Check with a weather person. They, they quite often lie. That's why they have to have a scientific title. And make sure this is good. And then practice in a really good environment where it's supportive so you can actually learn that. Then, then uh, in this uh, now, uh, metaphor only goes so far. Then if you were, if you were in a snowstorm, you, you know, you've got it down. You know how to do that. So I would say meditate. No matter how you're feeling, meditate. Set up a schedule. Do it. Do it. Do it. Meditate. Stretch that awareness. You don't have to become a Buddhist. I don't care about that at all. For those who want this kind of a practice, I'm all about helping you because I, I needed it. You may not. You may Maybe fine practicing meditation without uh, a, uh, a set of concepts to help support your awareness. And so, and what happens there? We don't know for sure. Some seem to know more than others. Some people are, are very, very good at seeing through this, this veil that separates us from the other world. It's supposed to be about that far away. Um, but if you've been stretching this and practicing this and working with, with uh, awareness and working with how things arise in the mind, how they go away and how they arise in the mind, how they go away, how negative thoughts come and stay for a while and then they go away. You can see the front of the thoughts. You can see the middle of the thoughts. You can see the back of the thoughts. You actually can see that. You might not use those words. It's a different kind of situation. It's very, very difficult to take any description, any uh, thing that is happening in this area and bring it into a conceptual situation and still bring what actually happened with you. It's like it's like reverse engineering uh, lemon meringue pie. Good luck. It's better to get a recipe and go the other direction. But to run into that situation and try to figure out, how did I get that way? Probably not going to happen. They're even trying to reverse engineer uh, flying saucers. That's got to be hilarious to the aliens, I mean. <laughs> what they're doing is like, it would be like we, we would take our uh, a Model A Ford you know, and send it to somewhere else and then sit back and watch them, try to figure out how that works. And then we wouldn't put a, a, a automobile engine in it. We'd put a, put a diesel engine in it, but we'd put gasoline. I mean, just for fun. Right? Aliens might be bored. Yes. What, are, what is the... The three is... Uh, the three, the three, so you, you meditate, and then what you would... The three is uh, just everyday situations of uh, stronger awareness for just everyday events that are happening. And then stronger, the second one is a stronger awareness to accommodate or better understand uh, really difficult, I call them tsunamis that come out of nowhere. I mean, if you, that's the reason they call it depression is you don't know where it came from, you don't know what it is, you just know how it feels, and it seems to be similar to what your neighbor is describing. And if you go to any professional, not taking away anything from psychiatrists or counselors, uh, but I am saying that they, they're trained a certain way, 
and unless they're pretty unusual and able to, what, what do we say, think outside the box a little bit, uh, they're going to be trapped into their models and their, you know, their, their formulas for how to address what well, this, that's this. Someone acts like this and that means that. So they, they're categorizing everything. So awareness practice will help you see through that and see the value in it and see, help you without judging and evaluating, it'll help you see directly what is fundamentally helpful. You might actually, just like someone who is really a good counselor, uh, might be in a situation where someone, they might discourage them from doing something. Uh, maybe if either might discourage them from using painkillers, don't use oh, opiates. You, you know, don't maybe not suggest something else, but tell them, stop using that. And then the person will say, well, but it's so painful. It's so, and then, you know, then you, it would be in their, uh, their uh, court, uh, what to do about that. So it's just a, it's not probably not a very good example, but it's like being able to see awareness practice to help you see what is actually happening in front of you before you put concepts and judgments and evaluations on it to see what it is. Ego does not want to do that because it's so insecure. Ego is really insecure looking at things that doesn't know what they are. So it tends to either look away, ignorance, or distract itself. Or the other kind of ignorance is probably the most difficult time, kind, is it projects uh, a layer of ideas, opinions, and everything on top of it so it doesn't have to deal with the unknown. So this is the other thing this exercise will help you do. You are going, and this is not a condemnation of, condemnation of anybody, but all of us here are living, we all have heartbeats, but it's not going to last. One of the basic teachings of the Buddha is impermanence. Not not going to last. May may last till three weeks from now. May last another 20, 30, 40, 50 years, depending how old you are now. There's, but, there's, but it's not going to last forever. It can't. Just the nature of the physical form. So find out who you really are. If you find out who you really are, uh, then they can threaten this body form all they want because you know that you're not just your body. This is what all spiritual paths are trying to do in different ways. If you need a theistic path, there are plenty of them out there. You can go and worship a, a deity or a god or a godhead. Not wrong, just different. In this one, we don't particularly do that. Also, we don't negate it or preach atheism. We don't go the other direction either. I'm not saying that some people don't do that. Some do. So those three, any question about those? Um, I guess I understand what three are, but I'm wondering if there's like an overarching, like these are the three ways awareness does it, or like you know, you have the four noble truths. These are the three, these would be the three ways in which uh, the need, you could say, for this exercise, or how the exercise, uh, the first way is uh, uh, just daily, daily life, just the ups and downs of uh, working with your, with your spouse or with your, your sangha or your community, working with the, uh, People that are not doing things that you want them to do, you know what I'm talking about. We've talked about it many times. Working with that, bringing awareness into that, so that even though there could be some difficulty, some judgment, some tension, it's just it's ventilated. There's a lot of ventilation there, so you're not locking down on I've got to be right. So it's not so you're not taking it as some kind of a personal affront to you. Or if you do, then then you you can actually see that you're doing yet doing that, and that's uh, awareness. And uh, the second one is. Some terrible thing happens. Somebody really close to you dies. You know, that would be, you're not dead, but somebody you really care about is just, they're no longer here in a human form, in a physical form. Difficult. And, but the, the awareness practice will help you work with that in a sane, uplifted way where understanding ra arises rather than just fear and regret and, and, and uh, uh, remorse. And not that there can be some of it, but we tend to overdo all of that. We tend to fluff it up. Some people make a living dealing in that 
kind of situation. Then the third one is is the uh, the probably the most difficult one is uh, your own your own death when you actually die to actually when the body mind drops to have that awareness that you've been cultivating. I don't know the I don't think it's exactly that word, but the, when you've been prioritizing that awareness, that awareness doesn't go anywhere. It's that's why it's a spiritual path. So then you actually begin to transcend this world, and you don't go into some kind of uh, ghost kind of thing where you're where you're trying to still be alive. You're trying to, or you or you don't even know you've died. Didn't you? And say that's separate. Yes. So when exercising, does that have the body? Yes, not separate. Syn synchronizing body and mind. The body, the body and mind are separated. Like I can sit here and talk about this, and I can fantasize about uh, sweet rolls or going to first Dallas. Is he at Sweetwater? Yeah. We have one person that works at a donut farm. <laughs> Another one works at a vegetable farm. <clears throat> So, uh, you know, that, I mean, it's that kind of splitting off, splitting off. And the extreme of that is, you know, the science of uh, uh, psychology calls this, you know, the very extreme is psychosis, and the other one is schizophrenia and all the other delineations of different kinds of mental illness and so on and distress. So what we're doing is we're just synchronizing body and mind. We're just sitting down and actually uh, and, and not getting in the way of our own uh, sanity. We have a, we're born with natural, just a natural sanity that gets confused by our culture. Uh, it's coming from so many different directions. Apparent past lives. I say apparent because I don't know what those are, but they're, they sure seem to be there. More. Yes? How does karma play in our ability to, to, to practice? So karma is a, is a Sanskrit word that means action. It's just We're just talking about a basic cause and effect. If you lock into just cause and effect, you miss... Uh, let me get something on strike. So here's cause, ready? Cause, missed. Cause, uh, missed. Cause, bingo. Cause and effect. And what is the presumption? What does the ego mind do? Blame. Well, this is the thing that did it. Or praise. This is the thing that made the beautiful sound. No, it was this and that. So a little bit of cooperation happened there. But it's even deeper than that. And this is what we miss. Where'd this come from? Karma, cause and effect. Somebody had to make this. Where did this? Someone had to make this. The labyrinth of cause and effect just goes out like uh, the the tributaries that create the mouth of the Amazon. They're everywhere and they're uncountable. Even more complicated than that, you can't track this. The further you get away from the actual event, the more cloudy and distant and shrouded and that it is. And, and the, the other thing I'd want to say about that is that it doesn't get you anywhere. It just gives the ego mind a feeling of tracking something down. So cause and effect, and the other one I didn't talk about, but I can also talk about, in order for that to cause and effect to produce that result, there not only has to be this hand, and I have no idea where this came from, but it's attached to the rest of me, and it had to move. And then the other one is there has to be ears to hear. There has to be someone to see this happen. The cause and effect is dependently risen. Everything that has happened to you is, is there's no solid being behind any of it. Bingo, or maybe not bingo. Maybe it's just, is that, is that true? I would say find out. Because if it's true for you, it's not, it won't be a belief. You will know it. Believing something is a, is a low level, low frequency idea of a way of dealing with things. I believe this is true. I, I believe in this. I believe in that. As soon as you say, I believe, you stop investigating as soon as you say, I disbelieve, you stop investigating. But if you don't take a position on anything, which you don't need to, you don't need to 
have a position you can actually say to anyone who asks you any question about anything. Well, I don't know. And they probably won't even hear you because they're more interested in agreement or disagreement than anything else. As soon as they hear you say, I don't know, what do they do with what you just said? They judge you and think that, good, think that you're, well, you're not very smart. You haven't looked into it or, or you have difficulty making decisions. I don't have difficulty making decisions. I just don't make them. And if you don't understand what I'm saying, this is a good time to ask questions of someone who makes no decisions or not. How does the fact that we grew up in a society that celebrates rugged individualism, yeah. how would that compare if we grew up somewhere that was... Based? So, very good, very good. So, uh, it's, it's just pointing out some of the causes and conditions that obstruct us or another alternative where something might be more supportive to our understanding, our realization. If you were born in the indigenous community, you might have a more open idea about community and how we could do things in a cooperative sort of way, like how we could build a casino. <laughs> not picking on them. I, I love everybody. But I'm saying, <laughs> but I'm saying it's it, it's it's dependently arisen. So there, you can't anything you can say is has some kind of a input or some kind of purchase on what's happening. Uh, everything is connected. Uh, saying connected, I would is not quite as clear. The best thing to say is uh, everything. Nothing is separate. Anything you can find is not separate from everything else around it, including this, including you guys, including this guy, including everything. Realizing it's just an astonishing situation and it is not an experience. If uh, I'm saying it's experiential, there are temperature, colors, sounds, smells, tastes, there's all kinds of experiential aspects of it. But the fundamental uh, understanding of it is not an experience because an experience, here's one, comes, but where's that experience now? It's in our memory. So it's there somewhat, but it's on its way out, yes. Uh, a question from Gyokudo in Minneapolis, and we have to close. Gyokudo. She asks, you said sitting symmetrically helps the mind to slide in. Is equanimity a matter of balance or equalizing? It's not a matter of balancing or equalizing in the sense that something you do, it's something that you see and understand and are aware of. And if you're aware of the imbalance, uh, the, the being aware of the imbalance, the balancing takes care of itself. There's nothing to do. If you understand what this is, all activity rushing out in the, into the world and doing something about life uh, comes to an end and you turn into a, a profound receiver. As I've said many times, and I'm saying it now, just receive. And I'm saying by to do that, the other half of generosity is just give everything your attention. Don't take your attention off from anything. Anything that's arising, albeit negative, positive, neutral, rough around the edges, smooth and syrupy, no matter what it is, just observe and don't add to it with your commentary. Don't take away from it with your judgment and don't turn away from it with your distress or uh, ignorance. Yes. Does that make light meditation? That's going too far. You, what you, when you say that, you actually prevent yourself because you, you've named something without going into it. Do it as long as you can without having a, a name. So as I sometimes say to people, don't teach unless you have to. Give anybody any advice. Knock it off. I mean, ask someone for your help, maybe, but don't give advice unless you're unless somebody asks you and you can look at in their eyes. You know, they really do want to hear what you have to say about it, and even then, be tentative about it because you, if you don't really understand who you're dealing with, you can add to their confusion. I may look at someone and think it would be it'd be good if they meditated, trained their mind a little bit, but I can also, when I talk to them, I can see they're not ready to hear this. It might be better for for me or anyone to wait until that person has gone through enough 
running around in circles where they, they remember you as somebody who did not fool with them, somebody who was genuine. They're going to remember you as somebody who was stat, who possibly they knew you were a meditator. And they might think that everybody's got an opinion about me and what I should do and what I shouldn't do and what I should stop doing, what I should start doing. But that person just listened to me. I think I want to go talk to them some more. I'm just characterizing it that way. That may not happen. There's no guarantee of anything. Everything might just blow up and come to an end. <laughs> I thought I just I want to end with on a high note. <laughs> okay, we can go now to the daily Dharma gathering. And I'd like to remind everybody about the donation boxes in the hallway. Please help support us as much as you can financially. If you value these teachings and this teacher, thank you. Sentient being together can realize the Buddha's way.